Hello, and welcome to Everybody's National Parks, an audio travel guide aimed to inspire you and your family to visit America's National Parks and help you get the most out of your park experience. This is your host, Danielle. This is episode number 18.1. In this episode, Brian and I and the girls talk about our visits to Muir Woods National Monument, as well as a few other sites around San Francisco, including Hawk Hill, the Presidio, and Rosie the Riveter, World War II Homefront National Historic Park. We also want to hear about your adventures. Do you have a story to tell about your family's experience at a national park? A favorite recommendation to share, or how this podcast helped enrich your trip? Email us at hello at everybody'snps.com. You can write us a message or even record a short voice memo on your phone and then attach it to the email. You may be featured on an upcoming episode. Again, the email is hello at everybody'snps.com. Before I get to today's topic, I want to take a moment to talk about listener support. If you are already a patron of the podcast, thank you so much and feel free to skip ahead one minute to today's conversation. If you are not yet a patron and you want to hear my thoughts on this topic, here they are. This podcast is a labor of love. We were looking for a podcast that would help us in planning our family trips to national parks. We could not find one, and so we decided to create the podcast we were looking for. I ask you this question, has this podcast brought you value? If so, would you consider becoming a patron by offering financial support? Patreon is a platform that allows for recurring monthly support for as low as a dollar per month. You may find a link on our website, everybody'snationalparks.com, to support the show. Thank you to all of our patrons. Now let's get to the conversation. So today I am here with Brian and we are going to talk about Muir Woods National Monument and we will mention some of the other sites that we visited in the Bay Area, San Francisco area, before and following our trip to Yosemite. We're going to be doing a whole series on Yosemite that we will roll out in the fall. Yeah, there was a lot going on in the Bay Area, so this was a pretty exciting trip. Uh, Of course, the centerpiece was Yosemite when we left the Bay Area, but uh, we got to spend some time in the area, and there was a lot to do. We didn't do it all in terms of the national park sites, national historic sites, but we did a bunch, and we're happy to talk about some of those with you today. Yeah, our time was limited, so you know we did what we could, but there is so much... So many, so many sites, upwards of 30 sites just within a short drive from San Francisco. So obviously, San Francisco is um, pretty awesome, and there's a lot to do separate and distinct from the national parks and the national historic sites. But we think this particular episode, this will give you at least a few activities that will augment your trip to San Francisco if you're looking just uh, on what to do. But if you're someone like us who... uh, our national park junkies, it also is a nice uh, central ground to kind of explore out and get a little bit of uh, natural wonder, a little bit of history of San Francisco, and a little bit of history of the country. And I think we'll get to that in a little bit. But Danielle, do you want to talk about what is uh, the biggest site in the Bay Area, which is uh, Muir Woods? We really wanted to see the tall trees. We didn't know how much time we would need there. Uh, We had read that it's a small park, a small site. And I thought we'd be there for maybe two hours. We ended up spending half the day there. 
So, um, you know, it really depends on how much time you want to take and and how much you want to look at and take pictures, attend a talk and stuff. But um, Muir Woods is probably about a half an hour or so from the city. And we actually stayed close by in Mill Valley. Yeah, so it's very accessible. Danielle, you're right, about a half hour. And who knows, I can't speak to San Francisco traffic, but uh, that's all traffic depending. But it's pretty close. And just the ride up, uh, getting outside the city was a lot of fun for us. Going through uh, Mill Valley was a very, uh, we stayed there, but that was a very uh, nice looking town. And then heading right to Muir Woods, which was right in our backyard, was great. And you certainly feel like you're away from San Francisco. But honestly, this is something that you can reach pretty quickly and then be back in downtown San Francisco pretty quickly. So it's a nice little excursion. Right. So Muir Woods, what are you seeing there? You go to Muir Woods to see the coastal redwoods. It is one of the last remaining ancient coastal redwood forests. And before we get more into that, I just want to just take a second to cover some logistics. Can't just show up there and visit the park. They have a reservation system. You have two choices. You can either reserve a parking spot and they give a half hour time span for your reservation. So I think ours was 8.30 to 9 a.m. was when we could park the car. And your other option is to take a shuttle, and you can reserve a shuttle, again, online in advance. So that was one thing that I was very glad before we departed for California. I happened to go on the website and thought to myself, let me check out Muir Woods. Do we need to do anything and before that, and it was a good thing, I checked. So um, a lot of the reservations were already booked, but we managed to get the perfect time from 8.30 to 9 was just right for us. Yeah, that's a great note because uh, it's not a spontaneous trip. Uh, even though it's a quick excursion from San Francisco, it does take a little bit of planning ahead just because parking is so so limited because you have to wind down the hill um, on a pretty narrow road and they just don't have a lot of parking spaces available. So let, Danielle, let me ask you this question. Muir Woods, founded by John Muir, right? That is not correct. Actually, John Muir had nothing to do with the park. So what happened was the park, that land, was owned by a gentleman named William Kent and his wife. I apologize, I didn't make note of her name. So the Kent family owned this property and they wanted to protect the land from the North Coast Water Company that wanted to dam the area and have a reservoir. And so through the Antiquities Act, Theodore Roosevelt protected the land in 1908. They suggested, why don't you name it, you know, the Kent Monument or whatnot. And William Kent wanted to honor John Muir. He didn't want his name attached and so that's how it became Muir Woods National Monument. Pretty rare for a someone with a philanthropic bent to give away something as valuable and not put their name on it. So that's uh, that's pretty rare. So yeah, and has nothing to do with John Muir other than just thought it'd be nice to name it after him. So now, Danielle, when we showed up, we had our parking, we parked, we walked in to the visitor center. What um what do you see, and and how do you approach the park? Is it a walking park? Is it a camping park? you know, softball fields, volleyball nets. What are we going to see when we see the uh, we see the entrance to uh, Muir Woods? It is a small park, 
but it is surrounded by a big California state park called Mount Tamalpais State Park. Apologies if I mispronounced that. Sounded good to me. (laughs) You get to the parking lot and you have to walk a little trail that goes along the Redwood Creek. And then you'll get to the visitor center, which is also small. And there's signage along the way as you're approaching the visitor center. And then, of course, there's signage along the trail. There are six miles of trails at the Mirwoods National Monument. And you can adjust the distance. You can do a half loop, an hour loop, a one and a half hour loop. There's various bridges that cross the creek. So you can have a shorter or longer hike. And if you want to do longer hikes, they sell a map in the visitor center with trails. And of course, the rangers will give you recommendations that go into the state park as well. So you can do that. It is accessible on the forest floor. The trails are all very wide. They're boardwalked or asphalted. So, you know, very friendly for strollers and wheelchairs and whatnot. Once you get off the forest floor, it's less so and would be challenging on wheels. So um, what we did was we hiked, we did the, or walked, and um, went to Bridge 4, and then we climbed up to the upper trails and got to see the um, canopy view. So it's really cool to see the trees from the bottom looking up. You can barely see the tops of the trees. And then being on that upper level and looking at them about midway, and then you can be a little bit closer to the sky. It's very dark on the bottom and shady. The sunlight can peek in here and there, but the plants at the bottom really have to adapt to lack of light. So that was kind of interesting. So, yeah, I think you're painting a good picture. And obviously, we'll talk a little bit more specifically about the redwoods, but obviously, they're really big trees. And a lot of this park, and I was tongue-in-cheek about softball fields and volleyball nets, but it's very much a quiet park. And I think some of that is because you're in a valley, and some of that is the awe of these tall trees that are towering over you and the lushness of the landscape. But also, it's just very much a, a walking, plaintively, a slow-walking, strolling park. And so you can take your time on that boardwalk and uh, yes, some of the side trails, you can get your heart rate up if you want. But what I found most appealing about it this time and then the last time we went way back in 2002 was how relaxing and quiet it was and meditative. That's what was really special about this park. Of course, there were a couple of tour groups, you know, being loud, but like anything else, just keep walking and you get away from them. And uh, it's not that far of a walk. So I think what we wanted to convey is that's what's uh, pretty special about the place. Obviously, the Redwoods, which we'll talk about in a second, but you can be in downtown San Francisco and, you know, give, you know, depending on traffic, a half hour later, you're um, in this grove of giant Redwoods and it's quiet and it's primeval and uh, it's very, very pleasant. So I think that's what was so appealing about it. There are signs too saying appreciate the quiet, quiet zones. And there's one area called Cathedral Grove where they have signs to please be quiet. And that upper trail, there's a point where you're right above the Cathedral Grove. And so it also indicates up there to please be quiet. 
at the same time, it's not kid unfriendly at all. And, you know, we, our kids did a junior ranger program and we're engaged with some rangers, but it's amazing to see children when they see the tall trees, it instills in them a sense of quiet as well. So it's just something, I don't know, I guess something in our DNA when you're in that grove with those tall trees, you just know to kind of appreciate and, and walk slowly. So that was what was very nice about it and a pretty compact in terms of the national park piece of it, uh, fairly compact and very doable in a short amount of time. Now, speaking of which, Danielle, do you want to talk about some of the ranger programs that are available and what we uh, what we participated in? So we did a tree talk and this was <laughs> this was great. It was probably about 20 minutes. It was done by a volunteer and his name was Nelson Stubbins. If you have the opportunity to meet him and attend his talk, I highly recommend it because it was called a tree talk, but it was so engaging. I just never imagined how you could be a storyteller talking about trees and he did it. He made it so captivating. And not just for adults, but for our kids and other kids as well. So that's, you know, another area where it's pretty kid friendly. So it was, uh, I thought he did a great job and I really liked his style. Yeah, I did too. And he offers some other walks, including you would want to plan in advance for this. He does a four hour sunrise walk. So um, that is something that you would definitely need to plan ahead for. Yeah, check the website to see when it's being offered. But other than that, and you know, we have another podcast coming up with a ranger to talk a bit about the particulars of the trees and their, I guess, botany. But just in general, to give you a sense of what this park is like, and there's no camping on the national park. I presume in the state park, there's somewhere you can, actually, I know because we saw some backpackers coming through where you can camp. But basically the park is a few trails, the main trail that goes through the heart of it that's on the boardwalk and is partly uh, paved and the visitor center. And that's, that's the grove. There are other redwoods groves in California on the West Coast. But obviously, this is the one closest to San Francisco and is obviously readily accessible. Yeah. So the trees, it's hard to really see how tall they are. You just feel very small next to them. But there is a plaque as you're uh, approaching the visitor center that shows the size And they are, you know, it shows it related to a person compared to a whale, et cetera. And um, it's taller than the Statue of Liberty. They reach, you know, 379 feet, way over 100 meters. So they are very tall and they are the tallest living things on our planet. It's pretty cool. Yeah, certainly. And I think, uh, you know, along that main path, they have a a cross section of an old redwood and just to see those rings and to imagine the history that those, uh, that those trees have lived through is also very much, um, humbling. So I think that's also a nice thing to contemplate when you're walking through it, but it's also just plain pretty. So, um, we'll go into a lot more detail with the ranger on exactly how these trees have grown and why they're growing there and only there, why I can't just plant one in our backyard here and, uh, and why they grow. There's some special things about that, but I don't know, Danielle, is there anything else about the visit to Mere Woods that uh, anybody else should know about. There's a small cafe there, but you know you can also just pack your lunch. Yep, we had a little bit of both. And of course, the ranger booklet is always a great thing to do. And then we spent uh, quite a bit of time talking to the 
volunteer Nelson and uh, Ranger Cassie Anderson, who we will be, you'll hear an interview with her later on. And goes without saying, bring your uh, bring your camera if you're so inclined, because there are a lot of dramatic photos you'll be able to take. The trick I did to try and get the whole tree was to use the panoramic mode. And, you know, instead of spanning across horizontally, I did it vertically. And so the trees are a little bit distorted, but that was the only way I managed to get the whole tree. So that was Muir Woods for us. And um, again, very quick and accessible. And we ended up spending a lot more time than we thought, but we still had some of the day left. So we asked for some recommendations and that led us, among a few other places, to the Presidio in San Francisco. So Danielle, do you want to talk about the rest of our day a bit? We met this photographer, a volunteer, and she recommended that we visit. She gave us a few places, and we didn't get to all of them. But one of the places she recommended was Land's End in San Francisco. Another one was Hawk Hill and the Presidio. So we drove from Mere Woods toward San Francisco, and the first thing we came to before crossing the Golden Gate Bridge was Hawk Hill. You drive up this big hill and park and climb up and have this incredible panoramic view, 360 degree view of the city in front of you, the bridge, the water, and then lots of hills and sort of rural in the other direction. Very beautiful and and some history to learn about there as well. Yeah, it commanded the entrance to San Francisco and the Bay Area, basically San Francisco Bay. So at one point, it had basically artillery up there and a long-range artillery that was relevant basically through uh, World War II. And then once, I guess, we figured out the Japanese weren't coming to invade and with the advent of air power, it was pretty obsolete. But you can still see a lot of the gun emplacements, a lot of the uh, the bunkering that took place and the revetments that they had built. So it was uh, not only is it pretty picturesque to walk around and it's a nice hike, but there's also a little bit of history there. And it's also like any of these um, fortifications, a little bit eerie when you think uh, this weren't fortifications from, you know, the War of 1812. These were fortifications from a war that I guess is still in living memory and that there was some fear that there would be an attack on San Francisco, just like we have some of the same ones here on Long Island out in Montauk. And I guess there was a fear that there would be an attack on New York and uh, we had to be vigilant. So it's uh, a little bit eerie to, to walk around and see, but Again, and there's a little bit of history there as well. So it's not only a great hike, but uh, you get a little bit of the uh, military history of San Francisco. And the views are stunning. So definitely have your camera charged. So yeah, so after Hawk Hill, we made it down to San Francisco proper, back into San Francisco. And we went to the Presidio, which is on the, I guess I would say the tip of San Francisco. And it's a former military base, former U.S. Army base. And uh, it is now a entirely run by the National Park Service, or in part by the National Park Service. And uh, we only had a little bit of time to spend there, and there's so much you can do. There's a golf course there. There are myriad museums. Obviously, there's a National Park Service visitor center. Some of those museums are in conjunction with the with the city. Um, there was a, a festival going on with a lot of food trucks, which looked uh, really great. But we went to another fort, um, and Daniel, that fort was called? Fort Point. That's correct. So we went to Fort Point, which not a modern military installation. I mean, this 
does go back to more of the 19th century of guarding the entrance to San Francisco Bay. But we just had a little bit of time. The, the National Park Service does run Fort Point. And so we just toured that, which was uh, a great way to cap the day. It was. Obviously, we learned about the history, but what I especially liked was being on both sides of the Golden Gate Bridge at the top at Hawk Hill and getting to see the view from that perspective and from up above and having that panoramic view. And then crossing the bridge is always cool and exciting for the first time crossing the Golden Gate Bridge. Then it's right on the other side. So you have to wind around a little bit. But then we were at Fort Point, which is sort of under the bridge on the other side. Hawk Hill's on one side, and then this is on the San Francisco side. And you feel like you're under the bridge. And so it's really neat to see the view from there as well. And to see climbing up, there's about three stories. And so you can climb up to the top of the fort. And then you really feel like you're right under the bridge. Yeah, it certainly gives you certainly that scale of uh, of the Golden Gate Bridge because at one point, Fort Point was considered probably a pretty big fortification and it's dwarfed by the Golden Gate Bridge. But I'd say uh, the Presidio writ large seems like a lot of fun in a pretty singular park. I mean, obviously there are city parks, you know, a central park type of analog, but that's not this. This, was, this is very much a, uh, a park with a lot of facilities inside it and it seems you could spend a lot of time and still not do everything at the presidio i thought it was a a pretty dynamic place and i felt like we just scratched the surface to give you a sense we kept getting turned around within the presidio because uh a lot of the roads are are a little bit windy and there's so much to do and it's so big it actually kind of stunned us from our entrance into it by the time we actually got to the visitor center it took another 10 minutes or so of just winding around small streets, looking at former officer homes and barracks and um, actually getting to where the visitor center is. Right. And at the visitor center, they directed us and recommended that we go to Fort Point and do the Junior Ranger activity book there, and which I recommend for anyone because I feel like we saw and learned a lot more that way, doing the booklet with our kids rather than just walking around ourselves. It kind of uh, gave us a purpose. And that was Fort Point. And that was a day. So again, we just probably scratched the surface. There's one other thing we wanted to talk about. And that wasn't this day, but uh, we managed to go to the, on the back end of our trip, to the Rosie the Riveter National Historic Site, which is on the other side of the bay in Richmond, California, which is closer to Oakland. And uh, this was really a fairly new historical site, but we thought this was great. It is in a former factory, a former Ford factory that also during the war became an arms manufacturer. And of course, right next to Richmond, they made the famous victory ships, which were uh, supply ships that were cranked out really quickly and uh, helped win the war by shipping munitions and arms and soldiers and sailors uh, all the way around the world. So uh, it was really uh, great to see that. But of course, Rosie the Riveter tells the story of the women on the home front who had to take over in the factory. So, Danielle, do you want to talk a, a little bit about this and the perspective our girls had? So the the name of the site is the Rosie the Riveter World War II Homefront National Historical Park. And there is an exhibit to see. There's a movie to see. 
definitely see the movie and then go through the exhibit. And if you're lucky enough to be there on the day that a talk is being given by Betty Reed Soskin, uh, she is the oldest park ranger in the system and a really amazing woman. We were not lucky enough to be there on a day she was there, sadly. But she held a key role in the creation of this park. This time period is when, you know, women really started to work because we needed people to do the stuff and men were at war. And what's interesting is that it's not just women or white women. It was women of color. It was LGBTQ community. There was all sorts of diversity involved in this, and they do talk about that at the exhibit, which I found to be fascinating. It was the creation of what we know today as daycare, because women have children, but they need to work. And so there was daycare on site, and that's really where that originated. It it very much showed how, in our view, um, they did a good job at showing that a national emergency as tragic as it is going to war, but a national emergency did foster a lot of social change because out of necessity, um, we needed people on the line. Most men were away. And so the women were able to fill that role, even though at the time it was an uncomfortable situation, women out of the workplace working or women of color working or African-American men coming up from the South or coming from out East to work. But necessity was a mother of invention. So you needed innovations like uh, daycare. You needed to make sure that, and I think the, they don't sugarcoat it. The um, the film and the exhibits show that while there were tensions, um, at some point we had a war to win and uh, everyone had to pull oars in the same direction. And they did their best to make sure they did pull oars in the same direction and evidenced by the enormous amount of output that came just out of this facility and this port was staggering and how quickly it happened. And I think the exhibit, which again, it's a walkthrough. There's, um, you know, there's not a lot of walking to do. It's a it's more of an uh, exhibits that you see within the old factory. And there's a couple of, uh, there's a Liberty ship that you can go tour as well, which we didn't have time, but it tells the story very well. And again, there are Rangers there. And again, if you're lucky enough to see Ranger Betty, I think that's something that's pretty compelling. Betty Reed Saskin was an activist and did a lot in the community. And she worked as a, for a California state assembly woman and became uh, an active part of developing the Rosie the Riveter and World War II home front. Still a great slice of history. And uh, for us, it was important to go with our daughters because obviously it's an important piece of feminist American history. But man, I think even if, uh, if you're just going with all men or something you're not interested in, it is very valuable because in many regards, it shows that... Uh, kind of in the toughest of times, how we can pull ourselves together, which in these days may seem a a difficult obstacle. But uh, in those days, uh, they were able to do it. And it's a great emblem of that at that that old assembly plant, which is now the Rosie the Riveter Memorial. Right. And I believe that there is more that you can do than what we had time for since uh, we had to catch our flight. But I think that you can do maybe a tour by car. There's the assembly plant. Uh, there's the Rose the Riveter Memorial, there's the Shipyard, and then there's the SS Red Oak Victory. Do you remember uh, inquiring with the Rangers about that? Yeah, that's the Victory ship that we had talked about. One of those supply ships they were able to mass produce quickly 
to help win the war and to help supply our allies and our own guys overseas. And so there's uh, an example that's moored right there. Right. And you can go on that. So, yeah, you could have spent uh, more time beyond the Rosie the Riveter with um, looking at the shipyards. You can actually tour the assembly plant a little bit, which I had done on a previous work trip, believe it or not. And, uh, and again, there's the Red Oak Victory ship that you can see. You can spend probably a good half day or maybe even if you stretch it a full day there. There's a lot of history right there. But for us, that was it for our uh, seeing some pieces of the National Park's footprint in and around the Bay Area. That was a pretty active day. And then we bolted on Rosie the Riveter at the end of our trip. But we want to go back. We want to go back to meet uh, Ranger Betty. And we would love to go back to see some of these other sites that we didn't have a chance to see. There's a lot to do in the National Parks. certainly has a pretty big footprint in the Bay Area, wouldn't you think? Definitely. You know, you can't even do all that in, in one trip. And in a future podcast, we hope to talk with someone who can tell us more about what there is to do in the um, Golden Gate Recreation Area. It's almost not fair. The Bay Area is a pretty cool place to visit in and of itself. But on top of that, it has all these national park sites. It's almost unfair. Yeah. I mean, the one most people think about when they think about going to San Francisco, I think, is probably Alcatraz, which we did. No, I don't think I did that with you. I think I did that with my sister a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Or Haight-Ashbury or going out to Napa, all of which are dynamite. And I don't recommend against it, but it's just uh, with that and all these sites... Uh, and the good food and, and all that. There's just a lot to do in uh, in the Bay Area, but uh, even more with the national parks. That's what we, uh, we were able to learn. So uh, I had a great time with uh, you guys exploring all this, and I can't wait to go back. Me too. Alcatraz is an NPS site, by the way. Yeah. Well, great. Well, stay tuned for more of our Bay Area trip, including the big kahuna of Yosemite. But we'll have some follow-up on, uh, on these areas and Mere Woods as well. But uh, uh, we're looking forward to having more discussions. All right. See you on the trail. So now I'm speaking with my oldest daughter, one of our little pink junior rangers, about what she liked about the coastal redwoods and mere woods. So thanks for joining me. Hi. So what was the, your favorite thing that you learned about the redwoods? Probably about the tannins. I thought that was really cool. Um, they protect the tree from, like, fire and disease. I think that's super cool. So you may see scars, but then when there's fires, they don't just, like, burn and come down. So I think that's really cool. Tannins. Where else do you find tannins? Red wine. That's right. And coffee. <laughs> so that was a pretty interesting fact we learned from volunteer Nelson during his talk. Yeah. We already talked about this, uh, Papa and I, before you joined me, but do you remember what is the tallest tree? The coastal redwoods, and their scientific name is Sequoia. Isn't that crazy? That's very confusing. I know. And what is the biggest tree? So, like, in volume... It's not the tallest, but just the biggest tree. Giant sequoia? That's right. Yes. And where did we see giant sequoias? In Mariposa Grove. That's right, at Yosemite. And you may not know the answer to this, but I will see. What is the oldest tree? Mm, 
Nelson talked about this. He said the tallest, the biggest, and the oldest. Do you remember? Playa? No. This, so this tree is called the bristle cone pine, and they are around 5,000 years old. They can be found in California and the White Mountains of Nevada and Utah. That's crazy. Yeah, pretty cool stuff. So we have the tallest, the biggest, and the oldest. Oh, what's the scientific name for the giant sequoia? Oh, well, I'm going to go with it has something to with redwood in the name. Is that right? No. Oh, okay. I thought thought you were trying to trick me. <laughs> no. This well, is the answer. Sequoia dendrum gargantuum. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I remember. And that actually makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, that, that definitely makes more sense. <laughs> Thanks for sharing and remembering that. You have a great memory. Um, Thanks. And what about the water? So water is really important for the coastal redwoods. Do you remember how they get most of their water? Um, from the fog. It's really foggy in San Francisco, so I think that's pretty cool, too. Yeah, so like 50% of their water they get from the fog. And um, they need like 300 to 500 gallons of water a day. That's crazy. Yeah. But with climate change, there's scientists are observing less fog, and so that affects the coastal redwoods, and so we need to, you know, protect that. Oh, wow. Also, there are many ways to save water, too. So try and save water, too. Right. Yes, we need to save and conserve water. Absolutely. So I know that one of your favorite things is to tell jokes. So. I hear you may have a joke to share today. Yeah, not everyone may get it, but I'm pretty sure my mom will. So, ready? All right, I'm not sure if I'm ready, but uh, no time like the present. Okay. What is a redwood tree's favorite drink? Water. This is a joke. (laughs) Red wine? Ding, ding, ding! (laughs) Winner, winner, red wine with dinner. Oh, that was very good. Good rhyme. (laughs) All right. Well, um, anything else that you want to share about Muir Woods? Or um, we also talked briefly about Fort Point and the Presidio and and the Rosie the Riveter site. Anything else? Oh, I loved Rosie the Riveter. Yeah? What did you love most about Rosie the Riveter? Why did you? That woman are strong. Women are strong, absolutely. Yeah. What else? Anything else? Um, I think it's really cool how like most of the World War II supplies was like built by women and handicapped. Um, yeah, I think that's super cool and crazy. Oh, yeah, that's good to mention. Uh, earlier, I talked about the diversity, how color were working there. Or the gay community, people were working there. And you're right, also people with disabilities worked there as well. Everyone came together for the war effort. And now I am here with my youngest daughter. So she is going to talk about uh, something we saw at Fort Point. Can you say hello? 
Hello. Hi. Thanks for joining me. So you actually had a, a memory I had forgotten. We were looking at pictures to remind you of our trip, and there was a special exhibit at Fort Point, which was the fort that we visited under the Golden Gate Bridge. Do you want to tell me a little bit about what you remember and what stood out for you? Why did you like it? I like the yarn making. I like the yarn making exhibit because they're not all the same, and they're different, and they were really cool. And I really liked all of them. What did they look like? Can you describe like what shape were they? Um, some were like horses and stuff like that, and animals. Another one was just like rainbow, and it was like shapes and just stuff like that. So, do you know what that exhibit was about? Do you remember what it was about? Um, it was about um, it was about. It's okay if you forgot. I can remind you. So this exhibit was called the Immigrant Yarn Project Exhibition, and there were these yarn totem poles. It was like a totem pole, this big round cylinder, and that they each one there were there were many of them told a story through the pictures made with yarn of immigrant stories. And so you were saying that you remember seeing pictures of horses and rainbows. So each one of these, apparently, there were more than six hundred contributors representing generations of immigrants from every corner of the world. And so the Immigrant Yarn Project celebrates our shared immigrant story and our. Citizenship in this nation, with people of many different backgrounds and identities and ideas. Actually, you're learning this at at camp, aren't you? Doing a lot of things at camp this week with different types of crafts that they used in the olden days. Yes, we're doing lots of those things, like、um, doing yarn. Things and sewing, and I also made a fire. It was fun. <laughs> Those are skills that tend to get lost as through the generations, and so this, what you're doing at camp, and also this exhibit, is to pass on and keep these skills and crafts alive. Of fiber arts, doing different types of arts with different types of fibers that are passed down through family members, and so this exhibit's probably not going on anymore. But、um, I imagine that you can find it online, the Immigrant Yarn Project exhibition,、um, which was at Fort Point. So thank you for sharing. You see, I have at least one picture. So maybe I can post that online. Actually, one of them that I have here has a picture of the Golden Gate Bridge. That's pretty neat. And and there's a person on it. And there. And what what's that right there? There's like houses. 
There's houses and flowers. Right, houses and flowers and trees, and it looks like some rain. It looks like that tree is a palm tree. You know, I wonder if that tree is supposed to be a redwood tree. Yeah, me too. That's what I it, think. To me, it looks like a palm tree a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just the way that the person made it. Well, thank you so much for sharing and reminding us of that exhibit because I had forgotten about that. Thanks for bringing something new to the conversation. You're welcome. All right. Is there anything else that you want to share before we sign off? Um, I really like the the stays when I was collecting all of the um badges. I really liked getting them and I got I'm pretty sure I got more than one that day. Yeah, uh you got a lot of junior ranger badges that day. You got Mere Woods, you got one at Fort Point, and you may have gotten one other one that day too. Okay, so that's a total of three. I think so. So I think we were singing that thing where three badges in one day, how could that be? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing what you liked about those visits. And I look forward to the next visit with you. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to our conversation and enjoy your adventures in the national parks. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. You may find links to resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes on our website, everybodysnationalparks.com. Send us your stories, tips, or comments to hello at everybodysnps.com. You can write us a message or even record a short voice memo on your phone and then attach it to the email. You may be featured on an upcoming episode. Again, the email is hello at everybodysnps.com. Subscribe for free to Everybody's National Parks on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, become a patron. Just click on support our show on our homepage, everybodysnationalparks.com. We also appreciate if you write a review, give us a five-star rating, and tell your friends. This helps more people find us. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting, so please tag us at hashtag Everybody's National Parks. Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now.